From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Schott, budget and appropriations reporter. And welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. We've been away for several weeks during the recess, but we are back, happy to be back. Uh, Congress is back, and there is almost too much to talk about, Jen, because the next few weeks really are going to determine possibly much of President Biden's domestic agenda here with this huge reconciliation package on the line on an unpredictable route right now. But Democrats are hoping to get a $3.5 trillion 10-year package passed somehow, despite all their disagreements. It's not going to be easy. The next few weeks are going to be critical, not to mention the fact we're approaching the new fiscal year. They're going to need a stopgap funding measure passed in the next two weeks to avoid a, a government shutdown. And they know they have to raise the debt limit probably by next month to avoid a default. There's a lot going on. There's a lot at stake. So let's jump right into it. But we do want to focus today on the status of this reconciliation package. It really is the elephant in the room. It really is uh, the linchpin for all of Biden's domestic priorities, childcare, education, healthcare, climate change, paid leave for workers, everything, infrastructure, everything really is in this package. Uh, And it's really on shaky ground, really in both chambers, Jen. Yeah, so this has been a sort of long legislative effort by Democrats and the Biden administration. We really started seeing it come together, at least the first draft of it come together during the last couple weeks as this uh, 13 or so House committees released their portions of the reconciliation package, uh, debated them uh, in various lengthy committee sessions, some of which had broad bipartisan support and where um, in some cases we saw moderate Democrats really come out and say what provisions of the package they were uncomfortable with, uh, including voting against uh, one provision in one committee um, that would have allowed Medicare to negotiate prescription drug prices. Um, But because sometimes committee jurisdictions aren't always black and white, and sometimes they overlap a little bit. Uh, Because that provision was removed from uh, one committee's um, provisions, it actually was in the Ways and Means Committee's provision as well. And so it is that prescription drug pricing language is technically advancing. Um, Although in order to get all the Democrats they need to support this reconciliation package on the floor, Democratic leaders uh, and the Biden administration are still very much negotiating behind the scenes on that. Yeah, there's a lot of differences, which we want to get to in a minute. But, you know, we should, I think, give give House Democrats some credit here because it wasn't easy. 13 different committees, I think it was. And boy, they all rammed through their pieces of this package with pretty, pretty much lightning speed um, over the last week or so. It was kind of impressive. I mean, they were party line votes, staunch Republican opposition. Um, They weren't persuading any new minds here, but they got their job done. They got what they wanted to get done done. 
in an in a fairly quick amount of time with some long days and long nights, multiple days for some committees, multiple long nights. Um, but it did get done in in all of these pieces, and that is something because it it signaled steady progress on this on this package. All of these pieces now have to get assembled by the House Budget Committee into one giant package, of course, and then more changes can come in the Rules Committee before this thing gets to the floor. But they are still aiming for a House floor vote the last week of September uh, because they want to do this in tandem with the bipartisan infrastructure package. That's the roads, bridges one that the Senate, the bipartisan Senate group has endorsed. Uh, they want to. They've promised a, a, floor, a House vote on that bipartisan package the, the last week of September, and the House progressives won't vote for that one unless this one is also there. This reconciliation one is also there, so that sets up two mega votes the last week of September on, in the House for both of these packages. It's pretty much lightning speed for this reconciliation package which means they only have two weeks in the House to settle all of their differences with little margin for error. Uh, you know, Democrats can't afford to lose more than three votes from their caucus or this thing tanks on the House floor. And you brought up the drug pricing issue, Jen. I think that's significant because in the Energy and Commerce Committee this week, we saw three House Democrats vote against that drug pricing provision. That's this thing that lets Medicare negotiate with drug manufacturers on the price of drugs to aiming to lower the drug costs. Republicans say it amounts to price controls. They vigorously oppose it. But you saw three moderate Democrats side with the Republicans. Now, that's a danger sign because if, if, if their opposition to that is so steadfast that it, it prompts them to vote against the entire package for that, this thing could tank. You, you also had a, a Democrat in the House Ways and Means Committee vote against their whole package and joining Republicans. That would be four House Democrats right there that could potentially vote against the entire package. That would be enough to tank it. That's the danger that the Democrats are facing now in trying to hold all their members together uh, to get this thing through, not to mention... <laughs> the even more perilous condition it's in in the evenly divided Senate where every single Democratic senator has has effective veto power. Yeah, and so I think this is one of the big challenges that is facing Democratic leaders in the Biden administration right now is that there's a lot of different ways of viewing the reconciliation process and the reconciliation package and moderate Democrats and progressive Democrats are pretty far apart on that. We've been hearing from moderate Democrats for weeks now, and their voices have been growing a little bit louder recently during the House markup process as leaders prepare this for a floor vote. But moderate Democrats have really been saying that they potentially want a bill with a much smaller total spending level than $3.5 trillion. We've heard some say that one or two trillion dollars would still be a really substantial package that the party could be proud of and that the Biden administration could use um, kind of to campaign on during the midterm elections. But we've heard from progressive Democrats that they view that 3.5 trillion figure really as a floor and not a ceiling in terms of total spending for this reconciliation package. And of course, because it's an evenly divided 50-50 Senate and because 
congressional leaders need all 50 senators. Um, you know, you need the Bernie Sanders, you need the Joe Manchin, you need everyone in between politically speaking to vote for this package if you're a Democratic leader and you want it to advance. And so making sure that everyone is supportive, not just of total spending level, but of the various provisions in here that really impact a broad swath of the American economy. Um, you know, it's been a little bit challenging, I think, for most normal people to keep up with all of these markups. Um, but, you know, this would include provisions for two essentially free years of community college. Um, it would provide, uh, you know, funding so that, you know, the vast majority of American families did not spend more than 7% on childcare. It really sort of restructures the tax code um, in a way that Democrats argue would be fairer. Um, in terms of their belief system, uh, their sort of political governance philosophy. Um, and it does dozens of other things um, from addressing climate change, um, you know, to addressing infrastructure in some ways. Um, and so I think this package is really big right now. And one of the things we've heard from Democratic leaders when moderates say that, you know, if we cut it down, that would be okay is, okay, well, what do you want to cut? And so that's really the question uh, that Speaker Pelosi and other Democratic leaders and progressive Democrats are asking these moderate Democrats is, OK, what do you get rid of if you want a smaller price tag? Do you get rid of helping families with child care? Do you get rid of, you know, tuition free community college? Um, you know, do you change some of these tax code provisions? And so that is the dialogue that's very much going along. Uh, behind the scenes right now um, and will be continuing up until the House Rules Committee really, you know, sort of debates this whole reconciliation package where we expect some changes to be made to various um, sort of hot button issues. Right. And to talk about the Senate problem in a, for a minute, because it's so tenuous in the Senate, Democrats know they have a Joe Manchin problem. Uh, they need his vote. They can't pass it without him. And he has put his foot down on saying $3.5 trillion is just too much money for him to swallow. So they know they have to pare it back. The question is, by how much and what do you cut, as you point out? Um, and here's where Manchin's coming from, which makes this thing difficult. I mean, this package in the House would raise taxes by about $2.2 trillion. They say that combined with savings from the lower drug costs and increased IRS enforcement and accounting for dynamic scoring. That's the extra revenue they say will be generated from a booming economy once all these programs are put in effect. If you can count those that growth, which is controversial in and of itself, but if you count all that, Democrats say this package would be fully paid for and won't add to the debt. But it relies on about $2.2 trillion in tax increases. Manchin comes out and says, that's too much. If you raise taxes by that much, even though it's targeting corporations and the wealthy, he says, if you raise taxes by that much, it's going to make the U.S. uncompetitive with the rest of the world and hurt, hurt the economy, which is sort of the Republican position. Um, and so that's his problem. He says he can't. Manchin's saying he can't foresee taxes going up by more than maybe one and a half trillion. That's a huge gap. That's where the basic clash is, I think. 
because if you have to lower taxes by that amount, you have to cut spending by that amount if you're not going to borrow more and, and you want this thing fully paid for, which Democrats and Biden say they do, then that's the dilemma. How much do you scale this back? And you've got this clash between Manchin and Bernie Sanders, chairman of the budget committee, who's saying, no, $3.5 trillion is our floor. We will, uh, most of us thought we should have $6 trillion, and we've already compromised. That's Sanders' view. We've already compromised. This is the compromise, is what he's saying, as he makes all the rounds of the TV talk shows every other day. Uh, $3.5 trillion is our compromise. Kind of take it or leave it has been his attitude. So something has to give there, and nothing's given yet. Um, and I don't know how they resolve that, because they have to do a major paring down of this package, it seems like, to get it through the Senate, uh, which tells me that I think the timeline on this thing is going to slip. It's bound to slip. Even if they can get a House floor vote at the end of September, I think you not. I can't imagine that they can get this thing through the Senate before next month sometime. Yeah, it is a large, complex package, and those do tend to take a lot of time on the Hill. I think there's a lot of provisions in here, um, you know, that you can't just do whatever you want with budget reconciliation, right? And so we've been talking a lot, and a lot of congressional leaders and lawmakers have been talking a lot about just how you get the votes. But aside from that, uh, and very, very much behind the scenes, is another really crucial a uh, series of conversations that are happening about what is in the final reconciliation package. And that is, of course, with the Senate parliamentarian. Uh, because Democrats are advancing this legislation through that special fast-track budget process, there are rules about what they can and cannot do. And, you know, what complies or doesn't comply with those rules in the Senate is really largely determined by the Senate parliamentarian. And so we know for for weeks now, Democrats and Republicans have been bringing various provisions to the Senate parliamentarian uh, and making their arguments um, about whether or not those can go in the reconciliation package. Uh, and we haven't as yet heard her decision on any of the major elements of the bill, but that is coming um, in the next you know, days and weeks ahead as this package heads to the to the Senate floor. And I think one important thing to kind of remember, especially because so much has happened in the past few months, is that a lot of Democratic leaders, including Budget Chairman Bernie Sanders, <clears throat> were extremely, not extremely, but were relatively confident uh, when they did that 1.9 trillion COVID-19 relief package through the reconciliation process, that they could increase the federal minimum wage over a number of years to $15 an hour. And of course, the Senate parliamentarian ruled that did not comply with the budget reconciliation rules in the Senate. And so in addition to this somewhat public but also somewhat private conversation about what lawmakers will or will not vote for, there's a sort of parallel conversation happening very much behind the scenes about what fits within this complicated, nuanced, somewhat strict reconciliation process. And so some provisions that we're not really hearing about right now in terms of lacking support among moderate and progressive Democrats could still come out of the package, even if they have the support there, if the Senate parliamentarian determines they don't comply with reconciliation rules. So just so much to keep track of right now for everyone on the Hill. 
Yeah, that's a really good point, Jen, actually. We, we haven't, the, 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 we're talking here about the Senate's famous bird rule, which restricts what kind of measures can be, can be done through this reconciliation process, which avoids the threat of a filibuster, because it has to be directly related to budget matters. And then it's in the eye of the parliamentarian what that means, what is directly related to budget matters means. And so you've already had on the, you know, the Democrats already want to put immigration policy measures into this package. And they've been talking, we know, with the parliamentarian about that as to whether that would qualify under the bird rule to do to do through reconciliation. They think it's their one shot to get a pathway to citizenship for dreamers and other other immigration reforms. The only way they can see getting it passed is through reconciliation. And it's up to the parliamentarian to decide that question. So that's what makes this a long, drawn-out process also, even if there's an agreement on the spending stuff, um, all of these other policy provisions that, has to, that they have to get agreement on um, makes it seem like this, this could go well into the fall <laughs> before, before anything can get through the Senate. It's a huge, huge challenge. We've really never seen any, any package like this that I can recall, Jen, and correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, the other huge ones have been on pandemic relief, which is a really very different animal. Most of the pandemic relief packages, except for this year's in March, had bipartisan support. They were emergency spending. Everybody agreed had to be done to address the pandemic. It did get more political in that last round in March. Um, but this this package is even bigger than that, and it's a more fundamental reshaping of the economy on a more permanent basis, which makes it subject to a much fiercer ideological clash between the parties, uh, because this is something Republicans just can't stomach. They say it's too much money. It's too much government dependency. It's going to ruin the economy with tax increases. It's just a fundamental ideological clash here that they're not going to resolve, uh, and that's why Democrats are resorting to reconciliation but when your margins of the majority are so slim, that's what makes this such a huge gamble for Democrats and for Biden's whole domestic legacy uh, is depending on this razor thin margin to jam this through on a party line vote. If everything goes their way, um, it is just it is just huge. And it, it is not easy um, the Democrats are plugging along. They've certainly made progress in the House, um, but a long way to go, and there's so much unknown. That does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can always drop us an email. The address is cqpodcast, one word, at cqrollcall.com. The CQ Budget Podcast is produced by CQ Roll Call a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. Thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter. You can always stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget Newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. And we'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.